Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze. Hi, welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast. I'm Teresa Blaze, and today I have Mr. Dennis Cole with me from DC Ministries. We are going to talk about well, a few subjects. It's going to be more of a random show, but I think you're going to get a lot out of it because uh, I have had the uh, pleasure of meeting him when he was at my church. Uh, Dennis, welcome to the show. Hi, Teresa. Thank you. Well, you are you are very welcome. Uh, before we talk about what you're doing now, can you kind of give us a little bit of your backstory, uh, how you came to know Christ? Did you grow up in a, in a Christian home or was it not so much? No. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I was 34 years old when I did get saved. It was in Woodstock, New York. I tell that to audiences around, around really around the world uh, in that I've been to five nations. But I'll say I got saved in Woodstock. Then I'll pause and I'll say, that counts. And I'll always laugh <laughs> because you don't <laughs> think of <laughs> I was uh, living in uh, Woodstock, New York, this is about 15 or so years after the concert. So the concert was in 69 and that was at the farm. Actually, it wasn't even in Woodstock, but the town of Woodstock, you know, was behind the, uh, the concert and the town of Woodstock is, is where I got saved. My girlfriend and I, who is now my wife, Wendy and I were heading up a, uh, a newspaper, uh, one of the newspapers in the Woodstock area called the Woodstock Townsman. The Woodstock Times was the main paper. But what I want to say about Woodstock in 1983, because that's when I got saved, is a lot like the world today. It was very anti-Christian, extremely anti-Christian. But this is in 1983. Uh, they used churches maybe for 12-step meetings or something, but really would denigrate the whole thing, and it was a terrible, evil Christianity or whatever. But I, we got saved in that. It was really ironic, because we had a newspaper, we had a palm reader, we had a... Uh, Astrologer. We were very much nice people, uh, new age people. Wendy was from San Francisco, and we just really liked each other. So you actively, and, uh, so hang on. So you actively participated in palm reading and astrology and other new age stuff like that. Well, put it this way: my palms were red. I, I wasn't a palm reader myself. No. Yeah, just we just the mainline uh, new age, uh, very, 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 very Woodstock. And again, uh, Woodstock in the 80s was, was a lot like the world today. It was very, very, very... I remember when we got saved and quickly, you know, God was reaching us. And we, we, within three years, we sold our 37 acres of land and went into ministry. Sold a couple houses, too. Went into ministry, went to, went to seminary. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. How so, When you say you got saved in Woodstock, was there someone there? What were the events around you actually meeting the Lord in that scenario? One of my writers... Farmer Frank La Peruta, he invited us to go to church. I remember it was January 1983, and I said that church over there in the corner is called the Willow Wesleyan Church. I said that church. I said I, I didn't know it was active. I thought it was a museum. It said erected 1854. I thought people just went there to look at it, and because uh, I really wasn't church, so I didn't understand that stuff. And, and he said, No, 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 no. You've got to come. So we, we we came one of those days, Sundays in January, and came again. Every time we showed up to church, we always came late, but he gave such a big smile to us, the pastor did. You know, there's maybe 12 people at church there. You know, I affectionately say when all the pastor's kids went to church that day, maybe we had 12 that day. 
he gave us a big smile. It was such an incentive. It was an incentive to go because the guy was going to smile at us. Then I remember it was May of 19, the same month, same year, and I was uh, changing tarot card readers in Brooklyn, New York, because I, I had a business. Uh, I was in the garment business as well as a struggling actor. I was a uh, at a garment business uh, thing. Uh, I was a manufacturer's rep, so I, I sell. I sold for a lot of different companies. Sold their product into the New York City market. I, I got a new tarot card reader, and I was excited about it. And I was driving home. And I was driving home on Thursday afternoon, and I came to the house, and there was Wendy, and uh, we had our house there. You know, we're, we're not married or anything. We're just living there. That's how you do it. You know, I, I don't recommend this to anybody to live with somebody before you get married, but, you know, that's what we did because we, we didn't know any better. And uh, there, there, there was this evangelist dressed up, and the pastor Owen was there, and Herb Hartman, the, the evangelist, was there and talking to us and told us about evangelistic meetings that night at the little church. And I remember we went to church that night, and I remember uh, when he preached his sermon and nobody went forward, uh, I was one of the last people going out, and I told him, I said, Herb, I think you preached a really good sermon. I'm sorry nobody responded. <laughs> I don't remember what he said. I don't remember the sermon. I don't remember anything, except I remember saying that to him. And then the next thing he said was, would you like to come forward? He might have seen something in my eyes that I wasn't sure was there. I said, all right, sure. You know, agreeable guy trying to maybe urge the guy. I don't know. But one thing's for sure, I was at the altar, and I really got saved. I mean, that was it was things going on there. It was feelings and words were being said. This guy's a real you know, a real Bible guy. So I'm, he was saying Bible things, and I was agreeing and saying yes. And, whoa, I saw my pastor, who was a very culturally conservative man, and he was very, very, very expressive. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. Pastor Owen, I can acting like that. So I got saved in Woodstock in May nineteenth uh, of nineteen eighty three, and that was quite significant. I think that um, we, Wendy and I, would, would talk about be, being Christian, and then we soon after got interested in being in ministry. And we used to talk about we're, we're not going to get much respect. The world is changing. Uh, I think if I got saved maybe somewhere else, I might not have had that perspective. I might have thought that the culture of Christianity was. Uh, you know, mainstream or strong, or I was doing a, you know, something better than becoming a lawyer or a doctor. I was becoming a pastor, but I, there was no such respect going on there. There was no no sense of, you know, I've arrived. I, you know, I'm going to be a respected person. This is a good thing. It was more like it was a dangerous thing, and it's really not going to be liked. And uh, get used to it. So we prepared in those three years for never being popular. True to what we were seeing. I mean, we just knew Christians. It's funny. funny. You need to get saved. You get it all. Then you have to figure out what you got. But you get it all when you get saved. <laughs> but you figure out what it is. And and I found in the last uh, 35 years or so uh, that I've been walking, 38, or I don't know how many years, 30, I guess 35 years since I got saved, that um, the, the vision we had for the kind of world we'd be, we'd be going into is very true. Uh, one of the messages I give to people is, do you understand that it's, Christianity is really hated. You know, everybody hates Donald Trump. Uh, you know, it's so easy to hate Donald Trump. I hate Trump. Oh, wow, you think you're being original. But it's Jesus that they hate. Trump is getting some hits, but it's Jesus. <laughs> you know, it's those laws of right and wrong, and then the grace of God to forgive. But to say there's a right and a wrong is a very dangerous thing in our culture today, because the culture today does not want to believe in there's a right and a wrong. And Jesus is very despised and hated today. But 
well, you need to understand that. But uh, maybe we're getting off the subject. But this is what happened to me when I got saved. I mean, it, it affected me for the rest of. You know, as you talk, uh, I actually just heard on a recent podcast that I listened to that the Webster's Dictionary has updated itself to be more inclusive, not just uh, to be more, um, as I recall, I think general neutral or to respect those that are, quote, general gender neutral. And so, I mean, when you say that there's no right and wrong, that is so indicative of what we see now in the world. It's not funny. Right. I, I think that's the bottom line, bottom line as to why Jesus is hated, because he does represent a right and a wrong. And if if you're really operating that wrong is right and right is wrong, then you have a big wall of defense. And then Jesus becomes a big guilt trip. You, you feel guilty, but you're angry. And it's a bad combination. The truth is Jesus is merciful and good and kind and saving people. But if you don't want to believe that's a right and a wrong, you're not going to appreciate Jesus or people that are part of his uh, mind, part of his family, if you will, part of the believing community, which isn't a lot of people. Question, as a part of the New Age community that you were involved in before you got saved, what were some of your uh, beliefs? Because I know that they can vary, but it might be good for the audience to be able to identify that in case they go, well, oh, I have some of those beliefs. Uh, yeah, I, I would call myself a uh, an enthusiastic participant but not really very knowledgeable, but I'll, I'll give you some thoughts of what I had going on. Astrology was something I, I really believed in. Uh, I went to astrology, an astrologer therapist, and I used to talk to my planet. <laughs> I talked to them, had conversations with them. It was very weird. I was talking to demons, I'm telling you. It was very weird for, you know, these things. But palm reading, uh, you know, I, I used to look at that little curve of my thing, yeah, and it's had a long life, and... Uh, and I looked at it another time, and the line wasn't as long, and I thought I was going to maybe die early. So I had a little anxiety about that. Uh, the fact that I liked these people that, that did that kind of work, first of all, I, I, people can be nice. I mean, I, I liked them. They were nice people. But I was in sickness. Of course, I was sick, too. You know, but, you know, I, if I got to see them today, I wouldn't endorse what they're doing. I would endorse that they're human beings. And that it's a cool thing to really find a new humanity and really, really change and really come to that. But so I, I was just more of an enthusiastic. I wasn't knowledgeable. I wasn't really the one to go to. You, you wouldn't go to me to do your chart for astrology and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I just ask because I know that there's a lot of people. Um, I've interviewed people in the New Age uh, who were in the New Age in the past, and it takes a lot of different forms. And, and sometimes you, you have to identify, well, what was this person in? Because maybe I'm involved in something too. And then there's also the problem that the New Age is creeping into the church, something fierce. It has been for a long, long time. There's different varieties of it. You know, the world we live in. See, the world is neutral. The kingdom of heaven is is not neutral. Kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is not neutral, but we live in the world. So if we're not actively choosing the kingdom of God, if we're not actively doing that, we are going uh, to the left. And the left that Jesus would call it is lawlessness. Because of the increase of lawlessness, the love of most will grow cold. That's the world we're living in. So if you're not actively going to the spirit, right? You know, to, to 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 loving the truth, to wanting to be childlike, to 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 the ability to cry again, to laugh, to to just just be childlike and just see what is really right and wrong. 
you you will be looking at the Bible through the eyes of the world, and that's why it's so dangerous. That's why I, you know, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a Bible actor, and, and what I am is what I always was since I got saved. I'm really something. It looks like I'm an actor, and I am, and I'm very trained at it, and I, I understand something about acting. <laughs> I understand about the kingdom of God that Jesus is playing me. I'm not playing him. He's playing me, and, I, and I'm aware of that, and that, that makes for good, good theater and good acting and stuff. I'm aware that if you look at the Bible and you look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you don't see the gift of acting, but you see the gift of, of prophecy or the gift of uh, compassion or the gift of uh, mercy, I should say, yeah. And I already was an actor, but when I got saved, I became something else. So when I do the acting, the Bible acting, the something else that I became comes out. I'm very much a pastor, very much an evangelist, very much a uh, one who really listens to somebody else and feels what they're feeling. And I can speak to them or share with them. And it becomes a, a gift of preaching, a gift of evangelism, a gift of pure compassion, or caring, mercy. So I, I'm, I, I teach people to operate in what God's given you and don't get carried away with the whole career system. Just deal with the calling. But my, my ministry's had a, an enormous amount of uh, revival in it, and a lot of people coming forward and all that stuff, and people getting saved and receiving the Lord or, or changing their minds about things. Uh, a great message we need to give is the world we live in. And I don't think we're really getting it. But my wife calls it normalcy bias. There's a lot of normalcy bias out there. We want it to be normal. We want it to be, and we want to say it is, but it isn't. And I don't say this to get you scared. I say to actually get you prepared and to really be able to enjoy life. It's so funny you mentioned that. Uh, a good uh, a ministry uh, leader that I know of, uh, his name is Russ Dizdar, he always calls this normalcy bias that you call it, like within the church, the subnormal church, because we should be operating in a book of Acts type of church where we see signs, wonders, miracles to engage the non-believer, but we don't nowadays. I think more of that is going on than we realize, but we're not looking for the right thing so we don't see it. I'll give you, for instance, my wife's got uh, multiple myeloma, which is uh, blood cancer of the bone marrow. It's blood plasma cancer. Quote, there's no cure for it, unquote. I mean, you hear that all the time. Well, she's had it for three years and she just qualified for a very, very, very experimental therapy called CAR T-cell therapy, where they take your white blood cells, take them to the lab for three to four or five weeks, re-engineer them to kill cancer and put them back in. And that's exactly what happened. And uh, it went in there and it killed all the cancer. Nothing else was working. She qualified for the CAR T because she disqualified herself by failing all these other therapies, chemotherapies that don't work, didn't work for her. Wow. You know, I've always said uh, that God likes to heal either by taking someone home, by healing them instantly or healing them uh, through doctors. And obviously uh, your wife is um, a walking miracle. We've been through it for three, three years. But this is the point. I think that things are happening. Miracles are happening and we're not noticing them. I think that believing community, we beat ourselves up. We don't do as, as good as they did in the Acts chapter three and four, et cetera, and so on. But I believe that we're so inundated with the world. And remember, this is a last day's world. You know, it's very inundated. Satan, time is short. Uh, the systems had, you know, things are bad. A hundred years ago, it was a hundred years for the systems to get worse. The systems that he owned, the education, politics, and so on and so forth. 
what I want to say is that things are happening, but we might not see it because we're, we're, we're thinking that it's supposed to be different. The truth is God is healing more than one who's cancer. He's healing uh, issues that uh, existed before cancer. Uh, and when he's just one example, there are things going out there, greater things you'll do because I go to the father. Well, those things are happening. You know, when uh, the man who's born blind, we get a, you get a sample of what happens there. The man is born blind in John 9. His mother and father disown him right there. Oh, well, I don't know. He's, yeah. I mean, they couldn't even celebrate. The guy got, you know, he could see after 40 years of being blind. They couldn't even celebrate. They, they just backed. They got all nervous. They said they're the rabbis, you know, they're afraid of uh, offending the synagogue. And they couldn't even celebrate with the kid. So we get an idea that when Jesus heals, well, there's other things going on. In the case of the man born blind, that's one case where we see this guy's got a family problem that he's going to have to face. And so what I'm seeing today is that people are, are getting blessed, they're getting healed, but other things are getting healed too. Things are getting better. Somebody going to a 12-step meeting, and he really, 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 really finds Jesus as the higher power, and he really, really stops drinking, and he really, really gets over it. Well, there's a whole area of healing that happened because he doesn't drink anymore. And he's able to substantiate a marriage now, maybe. He's able to be a good father to his kids. He's able to forgive people. Mental illness, I know there's a lot of suicide going on. It's so tragic what's going on. It's very tragic. But people are getting better, too. They do get better because God is healing more than cancer, and we're aware of that, and we're going to him for it. We're going to him for more than the obvious that we can see. I'm not questioning that God heals, and I'm not questioning that he's moving. Um, I think just, you know, from what I've seen, it really depends on the church. It really depends on the body that you're working in. It really depends on the power of the Christian. That's two different things you're saying there. One is the church, and I think you meant like the organization. I think that's what you meant when you said that. I, I mean, I mean the gathering, the gathered body of believers, not necessarily the church building or the church organization. Again, I, I totally get, get what you're saying, and, and it's not like I disagree with it. What I have it is an insight into what you're saying, but it's not, a, it's not, a, it's not a correction. My insight is that the church begins with something organic. Uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Jesus isn't talking about the first service versus the second service. You know, I, I, you know, I prefer the traditional more than the contemporary. <laughs> you know, it's almost like that's how we think. No, he's, he's, he's talking about something very organic. And I believe that we generally go to the organization and we look from the organization and we say it's not working. But if we work from the inside out, from the organic, we can see how God really is working today. He really is working today. He's doing much better than we realize. But we're constantly saying, well, the, the, you know, the so-and-so denomination that did, didn't do it right. And when the 15 churches from the town tried to get together, only two came together. Organizationally, I'm not talking about becoming disorganized, but the organizational mindset doesn't work. The organic mindset does work. And we, we do well to validate these meetings that we have that we're having right now and that, and that we would bring that we, 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 we'd embrace a pastor and just be his friend and talk, talk to him about being organic and that we really are organic. Really good things are really do happening, but we always give into uh, common sense and uh, uh, dog eat dog world. You know, it's a tough world out there. We got to be realistic. I, I think we make, we make the mistake. We make worldly choices because we think we're supposed to, but we don't have to. Honestly, I, I pastored for 14 years and, 
I was very organic. I'm not saying I was a successful pastor, though I never had an affair and I never taught heresy. <laughs> that's for sure. So, I, you know, my greatest success when I ended up pastoring was that the day that I gave up pastoring, I cried. I, I, I loved it so much. I didn't realize I loved it. it. It was very difficult. I didn't have an easy pastorate. I was a little bit of a of an organic thinker, though I wouldn't have put it in those terms in the, those days. But doing the Bible acting, I've been able to really operate with, I can articulate a move that really would, that, that blesses the church, but you've got to be organic and, and bring it to the organization. You've got to validate that, that God really, really is very active and he's, he's very good. And that every time we try to do it organizationally, it ain't going to work. But if we do it organically and, you know, bring it to the organization, what I mean, bring it to the organization, we, we agreed to meet at a certain time and you called at that time. That's organization. That's organization. Right? So the organization isn't running us. The organic is so what we're talking about is, but we, yeah, we agreed 1030. We, we talked 1030 in the morning or whatever time, what time it was. Uh, more good is happening, but we, we're looking. We're looking at the. It's like an illusionist. He's getting us to look at the wrong. The devil's getting us to look at the wrong thing. Better things are happening than we realize. Which isn't to say bad things aren't happening. Horrible things are happening. That's the other thing. You got to be able to see how bad things are to be able to to see how good things can be, and in in many ways how good things are. Things are much better than than, than we realize, but we're not looking at the right place to see it. You gave up pastoring. So what are you doing now? Well, you, you said DC Ministries at the beginning of of the rug. It's actually dramatic Christian ministries. Um, while I was pastoring, still uh, back in 2001, and we were pastoring in Indiana, South Bend, they knew that I was an actor. People knew that I was an actor guy who was pastoring. They invited me to do something for the communion service that a lot of churches were going to participate in in January of that year, 2001. So I learn the lines to Sermon on the Mount. And it took me a long time. I don't memorize very well, but if it gets in there, it doesn't go away. I call that internalizing. So it took me about six months and I internalized the words to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And then my wife played a little uh, piano saying, seek first the kingdom of God in between chapters. And my daughter did a little ballet. She was a trained ballerina. I think she was 12 years old at the time. And I did Sermon on the Mount. And it, I, you know, it was so alive in me. It was, you know, thy word, if I hid in my heart, well, I really did. And it stayed there. And I said, well, I, I got to do this again. So I did it for my congregation. And that year I was working for Rock of Israel too. I had, I had a part-time job while I was pastoring. Uh, Rock of Israel is like Jews for Jesus, but they're a smaller version out of Ohio. And I was a ministry coordinator. I, I got appointments for the different Jewish ministers on staff. And I did a few myself. I did Sermon on the Mount, you know, working for Rock of Israel, but I was coordinating ministry. I was doing a lot of radio interviews and, uh, you know, kind of promoting public relations for uh, Rock of Israel. So here I was coordinating for the Jewish ministry. I was a pastor of a church in the South Bend, and I had just done Sermon on the Mount, and I was just going to do uh, these things. So I did about 29 dates of uh, Sermon on the Mount, and then later on I added the uh, uh, John 13, 14, 15, 16, I would cast people from my church and we'd go around and, and do these little evangelistic acting things. I played Jesus, they played Peter and John and the, the different disciples. And just, I just kept doing it for a year. A year after that, I, I quit church, I quit pastoring. And I had a full schedule with Dramatic Christian Ministries. 
the ministry with Rock of Israel ended after one year, after 9-11. They, they, they were concerned that uh, they had to lay people off, and I was last hired, so I was first fired. And uh, But I had already established in that one last year of pastoring, like I had a real ministry. I was doing 30 dates a month for Dramatic Christian Ministries by 2002, 2003. The thing was taken off. And I was bearing fruit as a, uh, as a traveling minister that I never did as a pastor because I was able to be that new wineskin. I was able to absolutely operate in an organic setting because I didn't have the structure of preconceived ideas the way it's supposed to be. I just did it. And, you know, I'm an actor, but here, but here I was really an evangelist. I was an actor, but really I was a, a praying guy. I would pray for hours afterwards after church. I still do. But I was absolutely able to operate. I was able to articulate what was happening because I was absolutely operating. You know, I go in as a new wineskin and, and, you know, really, you know, I understood the church. I was, you know, I was pastor for it for 14 years. I understood how it worked. And uh, it's funny, all the things that went wrong became preaching points I could bring out. All the things that went right became preaching points. Everything that everything that ever happened was working in my advantage. And it still does, Teresa. It really does. I have a tremendous uh, experience of understanding because I've been able to operate as a new wineskin for 19 years under Dramatic Christian Ministries. It's been off the charts amazing. What really strikes me is the amount of creativity that God has given you to do something like that. And I think that um, if we could embrace more of that and more creative ventures, more interesting ways to get the gospel out, I, I, I think a lot more will come to know our Lord. Maybe not everybody, but at least a lot more. I, I think creativity happens. It's not so much, hey, I'm creativity. I'm not creative. I'm going to try to be creative today. It's more like, I've got this thing in me. I'll give you an example. Back in 1984 and 85 and 86, those three years between when I got saved in 83 to 86, God got a hold of me. And he said to me, Dennis, you got, you, you got, I got to answer two, two things. And, and only one answer is the right one. You can't be both. He says, if you had an opportunity for maximum exposure for your ministry or maximum freedom, what do you choose? Let me say it again. He said to me, maximum exposure for your ministry or maximum freedom? It's got to be one or the other. You can't choose both, one or the other. So I thought about it. I used to ask people questions. and I Because I at that time, <laughs> Wendy and I were covering New York Yankees. I'm a baseball guy, and I love the Yankees. And, uh, because we were Wichita town, Townsman, we got into the, covering you know, the New York Yankees. I was in the press box, and, and I, I, you know, I talked to journalists out there. And I don't know how long it took me, but the answer was clear, which I gave to the Lord. And it was only recently that I realized the greatest success of my ministry is that I've been able to do exactly what I, what I asked God for, because I didn't choose maximum exposure. I chose maximum freedom. And, and, and Christ alone has set us free. That is huge. Well, I, I think that was a, again, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking a strategy. I just was just thinking, he asked me a question. Because I figured maximum freedom would always be fine. It would always be good. It would always be great. Add a zero to the number one, you have 10, another zero, have a, have a, have a thousand or a hundred. But the number one is the one that counts. God, echad, God is one. One. There's only one of a kind, and everybody else is a zero next to him, to the right of him. Here I was. I, I chose maximum freedom, and I look back just, just recently. I always say in the last three or four weeks, I was saying, gosh, it really has worked. I've had maximum freedom. I believe that's where the creativity comes from, Teresa. It doesn't come from trying to be creative. It doesn't even come from being aware of your gifts and operating in them. It's more like just being maximum freedom. And then you realize, well, you know, 
I'm not a painter. I love to paint, by the way, but I'm terrible at it. I'm not a, uh, an, a, an engineer. I'm not a medical doctor, but I really believe in healing. I really believe in laying on of hands and blessing people. But, you know, <sighs> acting is something I'm passionate about. I, was, I, I would interview with this guy um, from Church Growth Services. One of my churches, uh, uh, Living Scripture Church, it was called at the time. We, we met in a shopping center, and, and the guy, we actually met in an office building. And the guy in one of the office buildings asked me if he could use one of my rooms for his board meeting. I said, yes. He says, I want to pay you. I said, I want money for you. Just use the board. Use the, use the meeting. No, I want to pay you. I said, I, I tell you what, you're a church growth guy. Will you talk to me? Have coffee with me once a month? So I talked to him once a month. And he would tell me that when you talk about this acting thing, you become very, very happy. But when you talk about the pastoring thing, you become burdened and unhappy. I said, really? He said, every time. So again, in the organic reality of my situation, I saw where God was working and I joined him. And that's why I gave up pastoring because not that pastoring is evil or I think it's wonderful. It's just that it wasn't me anymore, but the acting thing was, and I've explored it. I'm still exploring the acting thing. It's, it's amazing how organic it is. See, the key thing is if my acting is uh, Hollywood career, all that stuff it ain't going to work. It's not, it's not going to work for me personally. God didn't set me up as an actor to be a Hollywood guy. He set me up to be a Hollywood guy. Holy. I gave up the passion to be an actor, but that's who I was. Uh, operating in it, but, but the acting I did wasn't like the business I was in. It wasn't a marketing thing. It was totally ministry. I, for instance, I, I don't send out bills when I, when I do my ministry. I, I've done about 2,000 events in the last 19 years, but I, I don't send out bills. I, I just don't do that. We generally don't even talk money. Uh, people give me offerings, and I'm very thankful. I've been able to do it full time for all these years. It's 19 years, but I, 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 I'm not rich. I'm not famous, but I get to do it. Maximum freedom. And when you look back on it, you say, "Wow, <laughs> there has been some exposure. I've had, had a lot of opportunities. I mean, it's really been great. I've really been great. I, I try to find contentment, and you find it in things like this." Amen. Amen. I think the thing to kind of to kind of leave off on. Uh, to wrap this interview up is something that you said that really struck me. And it was, uh, I left the pastorate to join God in what he was doing. Yeah. You know, guys, if, if, if it doesn't matter what you're doing, it doesn't matter what God has called you to. If he's not working in it, then find out what he is working in and join him in that. That's uh, right out of the experiencing God workbook. And thank God for Henry Blackaby who wrote that book because people are using that phrase. And it's helping us. It's very descriptive. Go where God is, is working and join him there and have a good time. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And you may cry and you may laugh and you may go to great, great suffering, but joy is in the midst of that too. And uh, be generous, be faithful, just enjoy your life. And one other thing I would say is my final thought. Somewhere along the way, I, I broke through on something and I realized that everybody that we talk to, not animals, not dogs and cats. They're great. We talk to them in dog, dog language, cat language. The dogs and cats are not human. They're alive, but they're not human. They don't have the same problems we have. In fact, they never sin. But every, every, everybody that walks the planet is a human being. And we have a lot in common with every human being. That's a cool thing. Uh, Jesus has come to bring the new humanity. I have connected with it. You have, some of us have. We can learn from, from this place. Even Jesus learns from the things he suffers amazing concept of God learning. He know he who knows everything learns. 
So we learn as we go and we learn from the foundation. And that's such a good thing. Uh, the Lord's coming soon and things are going to get ugly. They're getting ugly better, and they are getting better, but you won't see it in the seven o'clock news. And if you're looking for maximum exposure, you're not going to find it. You're going to have to find it through maximum freedom. Just operating it, go for it, and see where God takes you. And uh, that's good. That's something I've learned. That's 19 years. I couldn't have learned that uh, studying. I had to learn it through experience and through um, suffering and through joy and through the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, thank you so much, Dennis, for coming on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Well, guys, uh, this is um, this is why we do what we do. We, you know, can I relate completely Dennis's story? No, but I mean, the man came out of the New Age movement. He came out of a lot of stuff, and God is now using him incredibly. I don't know where you're at, but please take a moment and consider. Look at your life and ask yourself, do you know the Lord? If you don't, um, I would love to make that connection with you and that introduction. Email me at Teresa at unresolved.life. With that, um, one final thing, guys. Um, as you know, we I am in I'm in process of launching a book in November. Uh, it, it's going to come out in November, but if you want to keep up to date on all the details, you can go to www.unresolved.life forward slash launch. Keep a lookout for uh, more interviews that are coming along that line, bonus interviews. I'm telling you, I've got some good ones coming. But with that, I'm Teresa Blaze. This has been the Unresolved Life Podcast. We will speak again next time. You've been listening to the Unresolved Life Podcast. To catch all our past shows, go to unresolved.life. That's unresolved.life.